0: All right, well, welcome to this week's roundtable. We got Jake Each here, pastor at Veritas Church in Cedar Rapids, and the usual co-host, Jeff Dodge, (laughs) is back from vacation. Uh, So good to have you guys. Um, So today we're going to be talking about this book, The Patient Ferment of the Early Church. And I'm excited to have this conversation because at Veritas, here in Iowa City, we're going through the book of 1 John, and uh the message this week was on love and this is how we know we're born of god that we we love god we love people and so i think this is going to be a fun conversation to talk about um what this looks like in our church so um let's just talk about this book uh jake i you're the one that recommended this book to me and and the way this came about is every wednesday uh we 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 meet up and and talk and and uh, I was mentioning how during this time one of the struggles with, with COVID of not being able to have communion and just the the challenge of not being able to be the church together. And I was I was talking about how um, a friend of ours was was saying that they their church has just kept meeting. It was a smaller church, but but they just kept meeting right on through the um, you know the pandemic and. The comment that that this our friend made uh, to my wife was the lord's Supper just means too much to us to not meet like it is our lifeline as a as as people and so that struck me and as I was sharing that with you you 're like, oh yeah, that reminds me of something that i read in this book you should check out and so I actually went and bought it and uh, and we 're going to talk about the first couple chapters um, but this has been so good. So I, I wondered, from your perspective, Jake, just what what turned you onto this, and and just kind of what yeah yeah what was
1: I was listening to a podcast, and they were interviewing a pastor leader that recommended the book, and I was getting ready to go on vacation, so I was collecting some vacation reads. And I do love uh, history and church history, so especially that time period, like before the Reformation. It feels like you know we can track what happened after the Reformation, but Uh, to me there's always been a little bit mystery of of what happened you know Mm -hmm. from Acts up into the Reformation so this covered that and uh, I just ate it up I love the
2: book. Cool. Some of that by the way I mean just the printing press helped (laughs) I mean I mean seriously like one of the reasons we know so much more from Reformation on is the theological significance of the Reformation and Mm -hmm. after but also it you go back and the stuff that, that we've been reading the first couple of chapters have to do with the first and second century. Mm-hmm. And there was no printing press. Yeah. Even even having documents that we would yeah. still be able to access, they're pretty scant, you know, so that's what makes mm-hmm. it all the more, I guess, precious or, or mm-hmm. treasure, you know, to be able yeah. to go back that far. Because they're they're just mm-hmm. few and far between. Yeah. A lot of what we know is actually later writers referring back mm-hmm. To what they heard from those earlier yeah. mm-hmm. anyway
1: that anyway. time period to me is really intriguing and he points out in this book like from just a uh from our perspective you feel like it can kind of make sense how christianity grew after constantine kind of endorsed it yeah and it got some backing um, but why in the world would christianity grow before that, yep. period. when you're just, just right. you know, being a Christian in that time period was not helpful for your social status whatsoever. But there was tremendous church growth. So I think he sets out to, to answer the question, why? Why is the church right. growth? fascinating. Right. I, I,
0: I'll uh, set up with just just reading some stuff and then we'll, we'll respond to it. I just, a lot of highlights and, and I'm going to uh, set it up. I mean, the first chapter, the improbable growth of the church mm-hmm. kind of asking that question yeah. people have tried to figure out how did this marginalized oppressed uneducated com- uneducated <clears throat> minority group in the midst of one of the most impressive regimes rome um how did they grow how did they they thrive um and so he he kind of starts off and i want to um read this paragraph because i think this could be written in our time by the way if your background noise our our <laughs> <Yeah>. air conditioning <laughs> system is getting some work so bear with us with the background noise if you hear some drills and work happening but but he starts off he says in the in the 250s Cyprian the bishop of Carthage in North Africa had a plate full of problems within the church he was involved in conflicts with confessors with lapsed rich people even with the bishop of Rome so Uh, He goes on, he says, uh, and there was no one inside the church or outside of it who had not been seared by an epidemic that had terrified all of North Africa, killing innumerable people. Some Christians were disheartened and losing hope. Others, having received violent treatment by their non-Christian neighbors, wanted revenge against people who had tormented them. The world seemed out of control. (laughs) Does that sound like a description of our time? Man. We have a... A pandemic we have people that want revenge because they're they're getting oppressed and he said so in 256 Cyprian wrote a treatise of encouragement for his people beloved brethren he wrote we are philosophers not in words but deeds we exhibit our wisdom not by our dress but by truth we know virtues by their practice rather than through boasting of them we do not speak great things but we live them
2: I actually, when I read, and by the way, full disclosure, I read Mark's book because <laughs> I don't even have one of my own. And it was, it was fun even to see what, what you highlighted and underlined. But when I came to that quote, I thought, I actually think I'm going to reproduce that in some way for my study. You know what I mean? Like that that is a beautiful, concise Uh, I don't know, confessional statement, I guess, or whatever, Mm. who we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to lead.
1: That's that's powerful. And even in that first chapter, talking about growth in this time, like if you're just a a pastor in America today and you want to study church growth, a lot of people may think of you know, this is the kind of music you need to have, and this is the kind of programs you need to offer, and this is what, Right. but more of saying, okay, that none of that is the issue to right. this radical growth of Christians, and it all had to do with who they were and how they lived. Totally. Mm,
0: that's good. I, I think about that statement. Um, he says, we do not speak of great things, we live them. I, think, oh, I think that the opposite is true today. We don't live great things, we speak them. Speak
1: them. <laughs> Loud to lots of people on social media. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. So, so he he says that. Um, so he, he kind of keeps going. He says um, this quote. Ter, well, ter, Tertullian, um, also in Carthage, had written on patience the first treatise by a Christian on a particular virtue.
2: Mm.
0: I thought that was interesting. Of all the virtues they could have written on. Mm. Why was patience the first one?
1: Hmm.
0: You know, what what was it about patience? One of the things,
2: too, that, I mean, even back to your original point, Jacob, why it's fascinating to read the most ancient voices of the church is because of their proximity to Jesus, Mm. right? I mean, some of the earliest Mm. church fathers are kind of like grandsons. Like, the the guy that discipled them had been discipled by Jesus or one of the apostles. And so, some of what I think he unpacks there and rightly so is there's a direct line to Jesus. And some of the reason that we don't talk about some of those kind of things is we're too removed from Jesus. You know what I mean? And so what, what was probably the most natural virtue for them to lean into and to teach on because of the, the things that were going on in their times. Um, yeah, we're natural for them and seem so foreign to us. But they, they were really close yeah. to Jesus' teachings and yeah. ways.
1: Well, I don't—I forget where in the book, but he, he kind of points out like when you're uh, in the midst of persecution, you have to practice patience. Yeah, like that's a virtue of necessity because like you have no power over right. the people you know over you are persecuting you. You have no option. You're really powerless to fight back. Patience is a big deal. Right? That's all that you got.
2: Hmm. But don't you love the, the twist that he makes on that as well? Because patience had been assigned often in ancient writings to slaves, the oppressed, even women who at that point would have been more of an oppressed um, gender. <laughs> right. But um, but what he's saying is that the, the authors, the writers, the church fathers are trying to say, no, no, no. We should be seeking to exhibit that, yeah. not because it's ours by necessity. We have no power, yeah. but we should lay claim to patience and seek it. You know what I mean? For sure.
1: There's a one. I wish I could find spots in here quicker. But he talked about how patience is a is a virtue that benefits everybody, um, whether you're poor or rich or uh, mm, whatever yeah. your lot is. Like yeah. patience is
2: right. Like, um, yeah.
0: He talks about um, one of the one of the quotes here is um, let's see this is under Clement of Alexandria so he lived um, he talks about two he starts with Justin um, we call him Justin the martyr I think he was martyred in one sixty five and then after him Clement um, he said you must patiently endure the severity of the way of salvation. Um, And so just, I I thought that was interesting, the severity of the way of salvation, like (laughs) the cost of following Jesus was, was more clear to them. Like it would end in likely in martyrdom. And so there was something about patience that like, why is patience one of the more important aspects of suffering, Mm. you know? And he goes through um, his list at the end. And I'll, I'll read this and you guys can kind of respond to it. So the, the, he, this is titled, The Many Dimension Good of Patience. So one, he says, patience is rooted in God's character. Mm. So he realize God is patient. Um, the second thing is, the heart of patience is revealed in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. So Jesus' life and teaching demonstrate what patience means and beckon those who follow him to a patient lifestyle which participates in God's mission. Mm. Like, how do you guys see patience in the life of Jesus? Like, being one of his main virtues. Mm. Like, how do you guys see that Mm. lived out in the life of Jesus? Because I... Yeah. I mean, the low hanging
2: fruit would uh, obviously his suffering. You know, what I mean, he suffered with patience, like like Peter expounds upon. But even before you get to the climactic ending of his life, um, even just in his day to day living, right? I mean, um, on his way to go here, and gets waylaid by people that need him, or wh- just this well, constant, Lazarus, totally. Oh, quick, he's, quick. He's, <laughs> He's gonna die, let's wait. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I
1: don't think I remember a, Jesus in a hurry. Yeah.
2: Ever. Yeah. Totally. So even before you get to the patient suffering, just in his incarnational way of living was just
1: I mean, driven by driven by patience. <laughs> <laughs> Do you well, think I mean knowing being the son of God, knowing the plans of God, what's about to unfold. I think, fostered a oh, sense yeah. of patience of, it's going to work out. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. it's going to play out. I'm not going to panic. Because everyone else, you know, uh, you could panic, like, set us free from Roman oppression, you know, fix this problem, solve this issue. And he just kind of walked calmly through it all because it's like, I know the ending.
2: Yeah. You know. mm. And doesn't he bring up, I can't remember where it is, but where then the early Christians the way that they were able to exhibit patience was also because of their strong belief in the resurrection, yeah. right? Yeah. The thing that kept Jesus oh, patient, yeah. knowing yeah. where this was going, is what also filtered down to yeah. the early believers. It was their just rock-solid yeah. confession of the resurrection that yeah. also gave them
1: patience. Because right. like, yeah. with Paul, um, in First Corinthians, he was talking about, you know, if the resurrection is not real, mm-hmm. then we of most should be pitied. On the other hand, if it is real, then it changes everything. Mm-hmm. Where you can endure, and it's like, all right, I got a bad diagnosis from the doctor. Mm. That's not the end of my story. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, even to be able to walk through just normal trials, like, but if that, it, do you if you think that is your story, right. the panic, the anxiety that that would cause. Um, so just a practical. Emotional implication mm. of really
0: believe so religion. so take this mm. and i'm going to read this and apply this to our cultural moment as a church as we think about some of the social issues the mm-hmm. that that kind of push us toward that compel us toward activism and and things, and just see he says um god's mission is unhurried and unstoppable mm. he said um When people seek to follow Christ according to origin, God forms them into people who embody patience. Christ followers are not in a hurry. They listen carefully when the word is read and preached. Mm. They patiently call to account straying Christians who attend worship services irregularly. Irregularly. Patient believers trust God. When they're subjected to penitential discipline, they, quote, Patiently bear the judgment made about them, whether they have been rightly or wrongly deposed. Their reflexes are nonviolent. When others treat them violently, they never exact an eye for an eye, but respond in silence and patience, and even offer words of blessing. Mm. Origen envisioned the world as a great theater filled with spectators, all of them watching to see how the
2: Christians
0: respond to persecution.
2: You, you should read that line again, because that—that yeah. that's where I wrote in your book. <laughs> yeah, here's Jeff's
0: comment. Oh my, what are they seeing now?
2: <laughs> yeah, read yeah, read that last Here. line again. I...
0: Origin envisioned the world as a great theater filled with spectators, all of them watching to see how the Christians respond to persecution In the theater, a wide variety of people, including neighbors, scorn the believers and shake their heads at us as fools. The way Christians play their part in this spectacle is critical to their witness. God is with them. They must never forget that. When they are under torture, the eye of God is present with those who endure. Jesus' origin states, laid down his soul for the Christians, so let us then lay ours down, nor shall I say for him, but for ourselves, for those who will be built up by our martyrdom. Origen believes that patience, Christians treating their neighbors well and behaving courageously in the arena, is at the core of the church's witness.
2: Man. How much would change if we embrace that just word picture of, of it being a theater And we're the ones on the stage and the rest of the unbelieving world are spectators watching. You know what I mean? Just Mm. not in a, I don't know, like in a positive motivation to say, not to bring paranoia, like, oh, but a positive way of saying, man, we truly are to display. Like God has written a part for us to play on his stage. You know what I mean? Are we doing that well? Are we following the script? Are we doing as God would prescribe yeah. us to do so that the audience has the response that the writer of the script intended So
0: to do? culturally here's like on uh, a friend posted this uh, on social media, why don't Christians get it? If Jesus were here, if they were really like Jesus, he would support and then they had all these whatever their particular <laughs> agenda was. Dude, I want like, his pipeline.
2: He, I want his pipeline to know exactly right. what Jesus would do.
0: <laughs> it was a list of all these political, like, hot topic sure. things that Jesus would definitely support. <laughs> and I guess my question is, what does that look like? Because because there's a way that, that the world wants us to be like Jesus. Right, right. But it's like their image of Jesus.
1: Yeah, I think even understanding change happens so what's interesting in the book like as you get further you how far into it are you
0: yeah 50 through the yeah
1: so when it gets to uh, Constantine becoming mm-hmm. Christian there's Haven't a debate it on that yeah how, how that what's interesting in the history is Christianity was rapidly growing as this persecuted people Constantine embraces the Christian faith um It really took about a while. They never really let him in, but he was, he embraced the faith um, publicly, but didn't function like the Christian community. He tried to influence from the top down with power. And that's when Christianity became more institutionalized and tried to impose social change through power. Mm. And actually Christianity began to slow
0: that and worked right. like a charm. <laughs> sent us right into the dark age. <laughs> <Asia>. yeah. <laughs> yeah, there were was, was negative
1: consequences. And I, even today, I think sometimes it's like, we got to get this person in office. We got to make this change. But Christianity has been most powerful from the bottom up, not the top down. Mm. In these grassroots movements, simple, this disciple made that disciple who made that disciple. Mm. And even being able to suffer well. Mm. Um, so we had a rites of passage in, in my home. It was my, I have a 17-year-old and uh, Mars was was my wife was gone this weekend, so we watched Braveheart for the first time. Nice, yeah. Nice. Because, because she was yeah. gone, is there a natural? Connection? We got Marcy picked, was gone, we, so we picked the movie. So, uh, Mo and I went downstairs. And we watched Braveheart, but at the end. You, you, uh, I'm not going to spoil the movie for you. It's been out a while. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you can spoil Mid-90s. <laughs> if they haven't seen it, that's on them. <laughs> they wheel in William Wallace to get tortured. Everybody's cheering. They're excited about this. Um, they want to see it happen. But as they watch him suffer, and he doesn't cry for mercy, and he just suffers well, cries for freedom, you watch the crowd change. They're no longer cheering when he gets tortured. They're just like, they're almost mm. on his side, which mm. really propelled Scotland into getting their freedom, like how mm. somebody suffered. And when you think of Jesus' teachings uh, of what it means to be salt and light, wow. like right before that, he says, blessed are those who are persecuted of my name'sake." Mm. Like and then he goes and says, this is what it means to be salt and light, like how God's people suffer and patiently endure a broken world, maintaining their joy. Is probably the best witness to the world.
0: That's powerful. So give me a vision of patience to live into. Oh, I Mm -hmm. suck at it. Not, not, not based on your life, okay, but yeah. based on your idea of uh, yeah. don't live it, just teach it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll wait, I'll so, well, can I go back to that quote on we don't? I'm not asking you to live well. I'm just uh, yeah. saying I'm <laughs> articulate it. Uh, it well.
1: This was a really, really convicting book. Yeah. Really convicting book for me because I, the when you read the Church's uh unhurried and unstoppable. I want to say the church is unstoppable. Let's get in a hurry and go get it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I need to learn. Right, to yeah. uh, well,
2: when home. you were talking about Constantine, and again, I, I've only read as far as Mark <laughs> has, maybe not even quite as far, uh, but just in the history of the top-down church versus the bottom-up church, what you're saying. I, I recently was listening to another podcast with David French on it, and he was talking about this same thing among Christians, that right now the... To, to try to bring it into this cultural moment, I guess, or whatever, is Christians right now, often evangelicals in today's America, 2020, are crying out because what, what they're saying is we're afraid of losing our our freedom, our liberty. But that's actually not true. <laughs> We've never experienced more liberty. Like even recent Supreme Court decisions, Christians have never had more freedom of expression than we do right now in this cultural moment. what we actually are pining for is power. Mm-hmm. What we used to have is power. And then he go, went back and talked about even things like prohibition. And he talked about how, oh no, that was an evangelical Southern Baptist imposing an ethic on the whole country. Mm-hmm. That's when they had power. you know we don't have power anymore, but we have full yeah. liberty and freedom. We should be thriving, you know, even historically, we should be thriving as believers. We don't need to grasp at power. And in fact, when we kind of sell our souls to get power as Constantine, Mm -hmm. things go terribly for the church. And so let's be careful what we're asking for. Mm. That's
1: how you go about it. So um, there's an aspect of embracing patience as um, your approach to ministry from the bottom up. Like mm-hmm. you think like we're gonna get quicker results if we can pass a law, Yeah, but no law changes human hearts. Mm-mm. So when you look at um, uh, abortion in our mm-hmm. country, I, we live in a democracy, they didn't. Right. I think we should advocate. I think we should vote for those things, but we can't ignore the best thing a local church can do when it comes to the sanctity of life is engage people and nah. disciple people Cause there can still be a Planned Parenthood on the corner. That doesn't mean they have to have a lot of business mm-hmm. because if because right. we're discipling people right. and we're being the right. church and caring for people. So when you look at like the Welsh revivals, um, the, when people write about that time period, it, one of the implications was uh, the brothel houses and the bars shut down and the courts weren't in business cause there was no cases to try that there was no law of prohibition to show up. Right. It was just everybody was so on fire for Jesus. They were going to the yeah. church all night. Yeah. So it's like they it, didn't pass a law for that. Well, and, and I
0: think something that happens when you disciple people is that you don't just make abortion illegal. You make it unthinkable. It's you, a don't just make, wow. you don't just make yeah. racism illegal, um, you make racism unthinkable. When you change a heart, if you're when you change a mind,
1: right there, do that.
0: And, and I'm, I'm thinking, okay, so listen to this. So Tertullian is, he's, he's describing patience being at the heart of what it is to be a Christian. He says, God is the exemplar of patience. God is promiscuously generous. That's a, I, that's really a cool guy. way to say it? And so, and so God endures ungrateful, greedy people who worship idols. God does not compel belief, but, quote, by his patience, he hopes to draw them to himself. And the means by which God seeks to attract people is incarnation. God allows himself to become incarnate, a self-positioning of patience. How odd Jesus' story is and how different from the exploits of Cicero's exemplar Hercules. Mm -hmm. Tertullian recounts the narrative of Jesus, whose labors, unlike Hercules, did not include killing, capturing, and stealing, but who instead kept a low profile, who bore reproaches, who would not hear of forcing people, who ate at anyone's table, who declined to call for massive angelic intervention, who rejected the avenging sword, who healed the servant of his enemy and thereby cursed for all time the works of the sword
2: mm. Mm.
0: i mean that that is the kind of the antithesis of we want to get our hands on the sword of Caesar to right. exert our agenda it's a yep. it's a power over uh, strategy mm. you know and and I think that he He goes on and he talks about and I thought this was hilarious, where he calls um he said the fall of course, Tertullian recognizes that there was a long human history before Jesus. the fall of Adam and Eve was marked by human impatience, which was quote the original sin in the eyes of the Lord mm-hmm. I've never thought of uh, impatience yeah. as
2: the original sin. the original sin yeah.
0: i don't I don't know for sure if I agree with that, but, but just that, mm-hmm. I want that now. Yeah. And the, instead of stopping that one millisecond to think, wait.
1: Maybe that's a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wonder what might happen.
0: Right. So I think, I think this idea, as believers, we need to really think about what this means
2: today. Mm. Because we really do want power. Totally. I just think of the way that 1 John ends... First John, I mean, the way John ends first John um, in that weird, my children guard yourselves from idols, you know, it's like, mm. wait, were you even, what's that one liner? But I I was thinking about that because, you know, he mentions Hercules and I just wonder like, who are the idols? Who are the mm. um, yeah. almost mystical, like exemplars of what we really want that Jesus, the apostle John, you know. The church fathers are saying, no, exchange Hercules for Jesus. And who would that be in 2020? You know, no, exchange the power was guys. This, was
0: this man. kind of the, um, the, I guess, challenge between MLK's strategy mm. and Malcolm X? Mm. You know, one kind of being marked by patience and right. the other on power. Right. Like patience versus power as two approaches and so when you talked about exemplars i'm like
2: well there are some Uh, positive exemplars there are also some and it's beautiful like you bring up mlk because that was hard fought for patience he often wrestled in his writings with restraining what he wanted to do with patience because he knew patience was the jesus way it didn't come natural he mm -hmm. wasn't just naturally wanting to get beaten or thrown in jail you know what i mean it was a constant struggle to keep the virtue of patience reigning supreme. You know what I mean? And so, this, l- lest we think that the first century people were just kind of naturally patient. Well, of course they were patient. They, were, no, you know, they like, were just like us. No, they. Were, totally. yeah,
0: they, they it says here, um, Tertullian urges Christians who live by Jesus' precepts to wear their oppressors out with patience. Mm-hmm. Wow. Let wrongdoing grow weary from your patience. Wow. And he says, um, how can they take seriously this precept that is unequivocally laid down? Evil is not to be rendered for evil. He says, their hopeful expectation of the resurrection enables this. Mm. According to Tertullian, the key to believers' patient lifestyle is their confession that in the resurrection of Jesus, God has vindicated his teachings and way and way. And res- and as a result, they expect that they too will be resurrected. Mm-hmm. And he talks about the contrast the the contrast of this. He says, "Impatience is hopeless." Yes. According to Tertullian, impatient actions do not produce what they promise. Instead, impatient actions make things worse. Bringing about massive misfortunes, patience, on the other hand, brings new possibilities. I
1: love that. I think connecting patience with hope. There's, you're, you're, you're able to wait when you really believe something better is coming. So I don't remember. if you guys mm. remember uh, the study they did on um, the importance of seeing if kids mm. had delayed gratification, if they could understand they put them in a room and say, you can have a cookie, but if you wait, I'll be back in 15 minutes, I'll give you two cookies or something, mm. if you don't eat that. And they tried to follow where the kids that couldn't wait and didn't have any concept of delayed gratification made poor choices in life and that they took a bad mm. trajectory. But the kids who could grasp delayed gratification normally were more successful.
2: Uh, interesting. Because you
1: could display a level of patience, but you, because you know something better's coming, Right. Well, it's, I think it's foolish for us to also think just to command people, hey, just be patient because patience is a virtue. Just be patient and not equip them mm. with what's better to come wow. so that they can be mm. patient. Say, you're able to be patient mm. because this isn't our home or you're able to be patient because justice will come when Jesus returns. Like, mm. Just, um, just do you, wait. Do you think we don't?
2: enough about the second coming about heaven about a new creation of heaven or you know what i mean like i wonder if part of the failure for people to grasp hope and patience comes Mm. actually back to those of us who are leading god's people like i and i'm saying this as a reflection i guess i'm asking it to you but i'm thinking do i disciple people enough Mm. toward hope you know what I mean? Yeah. Do so we teach enough. This talk? was
0: an interesting because because he he talks about almost exactly what you guys are talking about when he says and and this was new to me like not new like I never thought of this but the way he said it you know Christians must not avenge themselves and and Cyprian um, one of the early church fathers saw that some Christians were tired and they wanted revenge mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. yeah they. Their, their properties getting taken. They're right. putting, you know, being put in the arena to, to die and all this. So, but he says, following Jesus entails living lives of voluntary suffering. <laughs> but Cyprian encouraged them to look forward to judgment. Mm. Addressing people who are tempted to re- resort to violence, Cyprian appeals to the Lord of the Apocalypse
1: in, mm.
0: re- in Revelation 22 who orders his people, quote, to wait and to endure with strong patience the day of future vengeance. This is a new theme throughout Cyprian's treatise on the good of patience. He's made much of the Sermon on the Mount. But in this passage at the end of the treatise, quote, his ethic of non-retaliation is not grounded in the love of your enemies, but in the eschatological intensity mm. Mm. of God's vengeance on the day of reckoning Jesus Christ the judge and the avenger will come in power to vindicate his suffering people with fire when Christ quote revenges himself he is destined to revenge us the people of his church and the number of all the just from the beginning of the world mm.
1: so from your question like do we talk about it or not right I think circumstances um, maybe perpetuate that to be a greater focus. Because huh. I'm just thinking as you're reading that, if you're, a, if you're a persecuted group of people because of your faith, right, and you're powerless, absolutely powerless against the Roman Empire, like it, it's unfair, you're, you know, you're losing your job, you're getting thrown into the Colosseum, you're losing your life, and the unfair, unjust treatment of you because of your faith How precious is the teaching then of your Lord and Savior going to return on a horse with a sword coming out of his mouth? Right, (laughs) right. How comforting is that? Right. But if we're we're comfortable, we're the majority, we don't talk about coming judgment. You know, we talk about, you know, how to have a more happy marriage now or something like that. Well,
0: I talk, I mean, Tim Keller talks about this idea of, you know, as Americans, our God is love and we get offended by a God who's avenges himself, yeah. who, a God of wrath. Mm. We have a hard time about a God of wrath. In other cultures, they have a hard time with a God of love because their whole life they've suffered injustice. Yeah. Wow. And their only hope is that God is a God of wrath. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, you That's see the martyrs. That's good news. That's good news. Yeah. That's good news. The <laughs> right. martyrs
2: earlier in Revelation, you know, where they're current how long, oh Lord, how long, you know. Mm. Um, that's not impatience. It's appropriate. What they're saying is, we're counting yeah. on you, Lord. We're yeah. counting on you to yeah. come mm. in the rap. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're
1: that little kid getting picked on. It's like, I got a big brother. Yeah, and right? He's hey, coming. big brother, what are you coming? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he's yeah. coming. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah.
0: I hope. But you yeah. know what I mean? Like, like, yeah. I'll
2: be patient. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is... It, so much good here he talks about living Cyprian continues they're, uh, the encouragement to live patiently they're not to defend themselves before the Lord's time in, instead as always they are to keep the precepts of the Lord why not because their behavior will be an attractive expression of God's character and not because there is something self-evidently good in patience rather because the eternal consequences of not keeping the precepts are terrifying <laughs> wow jesus this is the way of jesus and mm-hmm. when we short circuit that when Man. we try to step in and I, just one practical way that i've learned this over the years as a pastor is in staffing because mm. we live in a very transient community and so you know people are coming and going we talk about this like an airport terminal you know <laughs> we're sitting and somebody's oh got to go got to get on my plane they're they're really only in Iowa City for where they're going and and so you have this tendency as a pastor to try to like white knuckle grip on staff like oh man what would we do without this person we can't lose this this person so gifted or someone's in the pulpit just bringing fire and you're like oh we can't what,
1: what,
0: what? we can't lose that we we can't you know and and just the Letting, like, respecting the process that God has yeah. in people's lives to to not control. Like, patience doesn't control. It doesn't manipulate. Mm. Some of love is patient is letting people get on with their lives in ways that don't wow. serve my purposes. Wow. You know, so I think that, that this applies not just to um, the first century people who are... Oppressed and like for people watching, or for maybe it's even like in your workplace, things are not going well. Right. You you're ha- you have a boss that's a total jerk and whatever, and you feel like you're in a hopeless situation. Like love is patient is respecting the the process that God has to let things unfold isn't the way it, they're
2: supposed isn't to. Isn't it just the? I mean almost shameful, I guess, if, if truly born-again Christians are on the stage and the world is watching, right now, aren't they seeing Christians almost with the chicken little is falling, mm. trauma, Ooh. paranoia, fear, panic? Mm. You know what I mean? Like if there's ever a cultural moment you would think we would need this because we were under severe persecution, right? Oh man, let's go back. It, mm. No, I think we probably need these words more yeah. now in the cultural moment we live in. Yeah. And it's, as you just keep reading these guys and their, and their instructions to God's people, I'm like,
0: oh it's, man. <laughs> well, the question I had in 1 John 4 where he says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. It's mm. in the context of these false teachers and these, that, yes. the spirit of the Antichrist. And I think like as I was studying, I feel like, and, and this question in the sermon was just like, do you ever feel like we're losing?
1: <laughs>
0: and, and he talks about here, uh, Tertullian in this case, uh, is closely in touch with this persecution. And he knows acutely how numerically insignificant the Christians were. But he doesn't seem to worry about right. worried about this. He's not concerned about the future. Like, uh, yeah. I, I think that we, we, I think Christians are feeling
2: marginalized. Right. We're not the moral majority anymore. <laughs> or whatever, you know, so. Yeah. Well, what do we got to do to, yeah. And the solution
0: is not, we need to get power back right. and exert it yeah I, th- I think um, but but just the patience that God is calling us to to trust him, we know how the story ends
2: and getting back individually, not just collectively, but individually to that hope of resurrection, to that hope of mm-hmm. Jesus really is going to come butt back and, and set all things aright, you know and if we really believe that, it would immediately draw patience into our soul, you know? hmm
1: How does that speak into, I mean, if you could hear somebody hearing this and say like, am I not supposed to push back against the darkness right. in our mm-hmm. world then? Right. Am I just supposed to be patient and let it, like, wh- what's the advice to, yes, patience is a virtue, but mm-hmm. is patience calling for passivity?
2: I don't, I mean, no, but here's the thing. The active, as opposed to passivity, the activism that we should be displaying is way more going to those who are downtrodden, going to those who are also persecuted, going to those who are really oppressed. You know what I mean? Instead of making our activism more about power grab and trying to gain more of that control and power. And so, no, I don't... It, we are not called to passivity. It's just that, what agitates us the most? What, what are we activated to, to yeah. go toward, you know what yeah. I mean? And I think it's a realignment in that. Because yeah, if, if by pacifism uh, American Christians think just sit on your hands and do nothing, and don't vote, and don't do, or whatever, don't yeah. do anything, that would be a...
1: Yeah, no, I, I ask that because I do think a lot of times people hear patience and they equate right. inactivity yes. to it. Yes, good call. Mm. sometimes patience is, no, I'm just taking the long way there. That's good. I'm not taking the shortcut, I'm taking mm. the long way. And when you look at the church's mm. approach, it was a very slow, that's what, the ferment, like right. tremendous impact in as a persecuted minority and it wasn't top down as bottom. So mm. as he gets more into the book, yep. Christians uh, impacted society because of their virtuous living. Yeah. Like hmm. they didn't have services where non-believers attended. In fact, they had people, they wouldn't let non-believers come in.
2: Isn't that shocking? You know, yeah. There
1: was like, if you, you sometimes you were like in a two to three year apprenticeship right. before they'd even baptize you. Yeah, like They yeah. really guarded the gates. Like if you're gonna be a Christian, you're the real deal. And we expect you to live this way. We expect you to be charitable. We expect you to display the fruits of the spirit. So it was less prominent. But yeah. It was really potent.
2: Man, yeah, so I wow. wonder. It's like,
1: and that's what changed. So it's like Christians mm. in our society—they're different. Yeah, they generally live mm. different, act right. different, function. And it was kind of this person interacting with this person, yes. or this person. So it was like we're taking a patient route of changing our community. Yeah, mm. and it's it's stronger. It's it's uh, mm. slower,
2: but it's. Do you remember why even, I don't want to put you on the yeah. spot, but why, what is with the, it's a weird word to ferment yeah. ex- for a title. You know he explains mean? it right here. Yeah, good, yep. good, yeah.
0: He says ferment. Early Christians did not write explicitly about ferment, but I find it a useful metaphor to describe, <laughs> <laughs> to describe the way their patient growth occurred. It operated reticently, but what theologian Origen called God's invisible power. Mm -hmm. It was not susceptible to human control, and its pace could not be sped up. But in the ferment, there was a bubbling energy, a bottom-up inner life that had immense potential. And in chapters 9 and 10, uh, I consider the Emperor Constantine and the formidable formidable theologian augustine i will ask what happened to the ferment of patience when christians attempted to control and force mm. its pace
1: yeah that's it's, what i love so to use a different analogy that's closer to my heart we've talked about this before but um when it comes to sometimes i use this analogy i think i know where this is yeah, going. yeah, yeah I mean, it a community. but smoking meat like if you're yeah, going to smoke yeah. a brisket. The you patient smoke. That's what it yeah. should be. <laughs> literally to Smoke that brisket for 24 hours. It's low and slow, but it's the only way to get that bark and the smoke ring and that just that yeah. amazing flavor. Keep going. Now I'm yeah. hungry, right? But it's the only way to get that flavor. You cannot put a brisket in a microwave and get that thing. And mm. what happened is like in the in you know pre-Constantine it's like it's this smoking. Like it's a slow process. But it's producing this beautiful flavor in people. Mm. Like real discipleship has happened. And now you live differently because you're actually following Jesus. Constantine gets a hold of it and is like, oh, we can microwave this thing. Like let's just get, you know, more power. We'll, we'll get rid of the bad guys. We'll do this. And it lost its flavor.
2: Mm. It's just, oh, I, so heaven knows I like smoking meat. <laughs> so I've got no issue with you co-opting the thing and making it smoke. The thing that I like about ferment, and he talks about it uh, at a later page too, is for the ancients, well even for today, it's kind of magic. Mm. That fermenting thing happens, and happened by accident for many of them. You know what I mean? All of a sudden you open the lid and you're like, this (laughs) smell and all this chemical thing has been going on in there, you know what I mean? And I like that that's where he goes, is using that idea of fermenting. It's both it's slowness or whatever, but also it's kind of magical. Yeah, Yeah. you know.
0: Well, people today make kombucha. Yeah, Letha making her kombucha and popping the lid, and the stuff's
2: spewing out. It's like this totally. Yeah, it's like magic. magic. Yeah, you can't control it, and that's what it's it's the mystical side that the church Mm -hmm. is supposed to be, not the pragmatic. Again, the Constantinian. We know how to organize this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're going to make a capital city for the church. We're going to put somebody that's going to run the church. Mm and they're going to have directives that go down, and everybody's going to fall in line, and what we got is the dark ages, right? So I mean so, To your earlier
0: point. So one of my, I talked to ReCab yesterday, hmm. and one of the things he brought out, I was asking him about critical race theory, white fragility, and some of these things, and, and ReCab's awesome. I mean, he's like, man, I would, I would rather, like Black Lives Matter, he, 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 he was just saying, I, I would rather uh, be scrutinized on how I exegete the Bible than how I execute a slogan. Yeah. you know, he was saying let's let's stick to God's yeah. word. And but as far as critical race theory and how helpful is it in a, in helping us analyze some of these issues? He goes, my concern is, you know, we 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 quickly like and maybe rightfully like critique this. He goes, but in seminaries, I was handed, you know, Stephen Covey's you know Seven Habits of Highly <laughs> oh, Effective Living, and we never. We were taught to not, you don't really question any of that, you know. Uh, Oh, man. It's, it's, but we, we accept uh, business, Mm -hmm. the business model of church, Yeah. you know, the kind of the mega church run. We basically, our pastors are like uh, theologically precise CEOs, you know what I mean? Like they, they're CEOs with good theology and Recap was kind of pushing against that. Like. Are we as concerned about how yeah. that way of human?
1: Yeah, and, and if you take cues from a business world, it's like, I need production, I need efficiency, I need it now, like, that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of in me, like, I, I want to get things done, I want to be efficient. Are there,
0: any, are there any leadership books on the patient ferment of the CEO? <laughs>
1: how, to bring, of the, how to bring magic to bring magic back yeah. to the
0: church you know
2: what i mean like sure. seriously how to bring the supernatural the mystical back to into- and
1: i think that's the application to the local church of patience like are you will people want results like why are-, are we making a dent in society on this issue are we making any progress on this are we taking any ground like let's go and to say like okay are you willing to embrace the faithful plotting mm. because when someone's like i want to end you know poverty in cedar rapids iowa and we say, okay, here's the plan. I want you to find somebody and disciple them. <laughs> and I want you then right. to tell them to disciple one other person. Jake, that will never <laughs> work. <laughs> 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 but that's, no, I think right. that is the pushback. It's like, no, right. I don't want that strategy. Right. I want a big program where we can get everybody in and run them through a class. And, like just and we money. can't
2: start until we have bylaws and yep. we have a way to governance yep. Who gets on that governing board? We gotta have all that decided before the dude out there with the growling stomach. (laughs) Right.
0: Totally. Let me okay, so let me let me end with this question about one of the things with this pandemic. It has scattered God's people. Mm. It's isolated God's people. Um we're trying to get back together, but even with you know, great attendance, you're still only about half of what you were last year. And and it's understandable, right? I mean, there's, that's why we're doing the online stuff. There's people that, you know, it's, it's not wrong to do that, but it's just a result. I guess my question to you guys is, um, one of the quotes here early on is he says, um, he says, the baptized Christians knew how powerful the worship services were in their own lives. Early 4th century North African believers said simply, we cannot go on without the Lord's Supper. Mm. They knew that worship services were to glorify God and edify the faithful, not to evangelize outsiders. Mm. And yet improbably the movement was growing. Mm. The geographical spread and he goes on. But but I guess that question yeah. of it kind of made me think about church, mm. you know, and, and and do we do we value it? Mm. Like they did. Mm. Mm. Wow. That going back to the original comment that, that sparked me reading this book, our friend like in their little church right. saying we just communion the the Lord's Supper is too important for us to mm. to not meet. And it, so I'm I'm kind of being challenged a little bit on even how we view church.
1: Yeah. There's plenty of things in this season to be frustrated as pastors. I've been oddly energized a little bit in the sense of, um, especially when you get wrapped up as a pastor, of over celebrating the crowd, mm. getting too much energy from wow. how many people showed up. And especially coming off of reading this book, it's like maybe this is a season for us as a church, because you guys know our story coming out of this church. We had some really fast, exciting growth. Um, but coming out of after reading this book, I said, maybe we're going to be less prominent. But what if we could become more potent? Wow. Like, what if the maybe we yeah. have half of the people showing up, but they're they're living virtuous, yes. patient, Christ exalting lives,
2: hmm. and it's
1: greater impact.
2: I actually hmm. the word of encouragement I was thinking of as well is so we meet outside here. And um this last Sunday was the first Sunday that uh, we thought for sure we'd get away with no rain or whatever. And had just even said to a new family, man, I think this is our ninth or tenth week, and can you believe it? Never in a drop of rain. And I no more than turned around and tink, I started feeling <laughs> our rain drops. <laughs> in it. But but here's what was really cool about that moment. Um, sat down in my, you know, soccer chair or whatever, and little bit of rain, just nothing big, but just these little raindrops are falling around. Nobody moved. I kept waiting to see, are people going to like pick up their chairs and run for their cars, you know? Nobody moved. And I thought, this is actually really beautiful right now. And Dalton's on the other side of this camera and just, you know, leading worship in the rain. I was just like, there was something so right to this point. People want to worship. Mm. They want to hear yeah. the word of God proclaimed. They want to rally together around Christ. Yeah. And mm. it was yeah. a beautiful moment. So mm. I think I'm with you. I think the, this cultural moment is actually probably life-giving mm. to mm-hmm. God's church yeah. way more than like a, a throwing out of the brakes. Yeah. yeah. i I Can I brag yeah. on our people really quick? Yeah. It, so last
1: Sunday coming off what you just read, we announced to our church that hey, this Sunday we're gonna we're gonna have communion together, and they cheered. Mm, like, no yeah, way! Like have a congregation cheering.
0: So so this uh, what do you call it? The BYOC. Yeah, we, <laughs>
1: <laughs> it is it is bring your own communion. Bring your so own, own we'll communion. We'll see how that works, but yeah, just you, to encourage. But, you, me, but that you know, is so awesome cool. That that was the last response. I, I was just they cheered like we're gonna do communion like that that. Made Doesn't that wow. just
2: again that's the magic of God's yeah. church. That's the stuff that's going and brewing yeah. Yeah. out there among God's yeah. people that moments like this are actually it's like we're taking the yeah. lid off and realizing yeah. Yeah.
1: the supernatural yeah. stuff that's actually going <laughs> if on. If we could if we could ferment Man. Maybe we'll get our oh. city drunk with Jesus here. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, okay, Jeff, I, uh,
2: I always give Jeff the last word when he's here, oh, so oh, what, well, what do you got for us? Okay, I actually would love to end with just, I love First John 5. I'm actually a little terrified because I've got to teach this in a couple weeks, and it's like John holds all these zingers for the end and throws these curveballs, so some of it's very confusing. Hope I get it right by the time they all gather. But in verse 19, one of the last verses, he says, we know that we are of God and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know the true one. And we are in the true one. That is in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God in eternal life. Mm. I just love the gloves off. We know we're living in hell. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we are under this. We can see the evidence of the evil. We know. Ooh. We are not Christians who have our heads buried in the sand. Mm-hmm. Nope. We get it. And we know mm. that we are in the true one. Ooh. You know what I mean? Just like, <laughs> I love the strength of just. Facing the darkness with confidence, not in despair, oh, not you know chicken little no, because we equally know we are in the Son of God.
0: Mm, so. That is a great way to end this time, just as a benediction mm. over us. just um, yeah, thanks for that word. And what a fun. You know, we just talked about the first like 40 pages because uh, that's where we're at. Maybe we'll pick it up um, again another time and continue the discussion but yeah thanks for joining us on the round table hope you've enjoyed our conversation and and gotten some encouragement out of it and uh yeah so with that have a great day and we'll see you next time